That bar is just getting higher and higher. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of F1 in Review. This episode and this hour indeed, we're looking back at round 2 of the F1 2022 season where we went to Saudi Arabia. And we're also looking forward as well to the Australian Grand Prix which starts on the 8th of April. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter and indeed the F1 in Review Twitter accounts as well. And there was such a great weekend of racing when it came to Sunday but this of course nearly didn't happen because of issues off the track. There was a missile strike of the oil facility owned by Aramco, the group the Houthi rebels currently stationed in Yemen claim responsibility for this and this led to four hours of meetings between drivers, the FAA and figures from the Saudi government along with relevant security figures which ended 2.30 local time AM with many drivers citing how they didn't feel it was comfortable or safe for them to race and remain focused while this issue was going on external to the track but after these meetings took place we believe that the drivers and the teams were convinced to go ahead as planned with qualifying being on Saturday and then Sunday being the race the Grand Prix Drivers Association said they were given the full and detailed assurances that the event would be secure. What do we make of that then? This is the first time since Australia 2020 where an external event, a non-racing event has affected a Grand Prix and potentially shut it down even before we've got to uh, round one of qualifying. How very uh, diplomatic in your explanation there, Tom. You can tell you do this a lot. Um, and I think it had all of us thinking very deep and hard about whether or not we thought that the race should go ahead. Um, especially as there were sceptics within the, the teams and the drivers on whether or not they would be safe. And when assessing whether or not the race should go ahead, I think there is there is certainly specific elements which you have to weigh up. Firstly, are you willing to take the risk um, and and the gamble that there will not be some sort of attack on a big international sporting event? You know, historically, these are targeted events. And Joe, I remember when I went to the Olympics in 2012, London Olympics, and the amount of security around, um, it was actually quite scary. There was army and everything there. And and so you, you do realise when you're at these big events that there is one hell of a security um, defence going up to protect you against, well, any nefarious individuals. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to protect against missiles. You need some very sophisticated defence system. And given that the track is pretty open, there's lots of fuel everywhere, I was certainly concerned. But I think what we think is pretty irrelevant, actually, because I'm not there. 
I'm not in Saudi Arabia and I'm not being faced with the potential hazards. Therefore, it has to go down to the drivers. And if you were following what was going on, you may have heard that there were multiple meetings with the drivers and all of the drivers, it seems, said that they didn't want to race. So what does that mean? Does that mean that those who are going to be facing the largest hazard have no say in whether or not they were to face it? Because what we then heard an hour or so later, and I was following this, it was about, what, 1am here, 2am here, um, when this stuff was trickling out, was that they weren't being guaranteed their ability to leave if they wanted to, which to me send some alarm bells ringing i don't know about you um but i i personally don't think it should be down to um any of us whether or not they race and i think it should be down to the drivers the fact the drivers didn't want to to me sounds like that perhaps the race shouldn't have gone ahead and yes i know with hindsight and please don't quote hindsight because it's 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 a redundant argument we know it was safe in the end but my point is, is at the time, are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to walk into the unknown like that? I don't know. Um, I don't know what you two think. So, Angus, w- w- what do you think? Yeah, you know what? You make a fair point when you say we can't really pass judgment because obviously we weren't in Jeddah. But just from the outside, it just look man, it looks scary. I can't lie. Just um, the idea of a missile missile being fired at a... Highly flammable oil facility, uh, eight miles or so from the track. The fact that Aramco as well being a leading F1 sponsor, as well as a sponsor of one of the teams, Aston Martin, um, did make you sit back and think um, quite a bit. And it's not there's history for this in Saudi Arabia, sadly. There was an incident which kind of went unnoticed because it was Formula E, but back in early 2021, there was a Formula E race where a missile, I'd have to check my facts um, to get exactly right where it was from but there's a missile which was intercepted above the diria circuit which was used for the um formula e race then uh luckily it didn't um obviously it's been if it's been intercepted it didn't target anything or infiltrate anything which is a relief but it's 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 happened a couple of times now in saudi arabia um and yeah i mean clearly there's a there's a conflict going on there between the saudis and uh, the Yemenis, uh, not an ideal situation to arguably be fighting a um, fighting a Formula One race in or having a Formula One race staged in. But I think the point as well comes down to the drivers and the teams. Were they did they feel comfortable enough to race? The fact that the the rate the meeting went until two thirty in the morning, um, Saudi time, really shows like the depth of the discussions that took place. There are mm. reports coming out the drivers um, said that they wanted to boycott the race. Uh, they were like not all of them, but a lot of them were feeling uncomfortable about racing. Um, and then there was various reports, as, as happens to these things, going around about oh, the drivers are told if you don't, if you leave now, you'll have difficulty coming out of the country. Which some media reports inevitably spin as if you try to leave, we won't let you leave, which is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. It's just is it is a few is a few circumstances at play here without getting too political without. Um, putting my foot in it too much the the race the race deal to host a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is 50 million pounds a year it's a 10 year contract to in the first five years have a street facility race in Jeddah and then transfer to a 
a permanent facility in the city of Qidiyah, which is, again, on the coast of the Saudi Gulf, um, at a purpose-built facility, like a sporting um, mega facility. So the deal's lucrative, and they can't really afford to let that go. So it would be a very tricky and not what a decision taken lightly to pull out of Saudi Arabia. Um, it's, it's, such a, it's such a tricky one without expressing your personal opinion too much, but it's I don't believe necessarily we're there just for the racing. Are we there because the track's very good? The track produces decent racing. It's a very high stakes facility. It's not just the fastest circuit on the calendar or the fastest street circuit. It's the fastest circuit on the calendar. But are there other factors at play? Yes, for sure. Um, did they play a part in the decision to keep the race going on Sunday? Perhaps. But also, the point, the main point that stands for me is, I remember we were discussing about this in our group chat on Saturday morning, saying, will the, like discussing whether the race should go ahead. With hindsight, sitting here on Monday night, the race should have gone ahead. Yeah, absolutely, because nothing happened. But you can't have you can't have that kind of judgment before an event takes place and before the risk is completely out of the question. So it's fine to say now it was okay, but what if it hadn't been? Yeah, it was a very bizarre scenario, wasn't it? Where, as I say, only the second time in Formula One history, at least in the modern sense, there was non-racing issues that were more important, shall we say, going into Saturday. And I think regardless of this weekend, it's quite clear that the events of this weekend will and are leading to discussions about the race's future. We already know there's been discussions at the highest levels of Formula One regarding whether there should be a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix moving forwards. So keep an eye on that one. And it is a very difficult one because we're sitting here after the event and we're not there as well. So it's easy for us to remove ourselves from it, if you, if that makes sense. But I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one because the moment you're racing in somewhere like Saudi Arabia and indeed in various different countries in that region of the world, there's never going to be zero risk because of the nature of it. And... There's a question then of whether you pull out of a race or continue to go ahead and what signs that gives off. I feel that if they decided to pack up their bags and leave Friday night, Saturday morning, that would send out the wrong signal because there's no doubt regardless of whether the Houthi rebels had the intentions of causing terror at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. They did. They created concern and worries and very legitimate ones as we saw from there being four-hour meetings. And going back to that point of four-hour meetings, at the end of the day, the drivers and teams would have been asking the same question over and over again. Is it safe to race? Can you guarantee our security? The fact there's been four hours of discussions shows that there was substance behind uh, the arguments that Formula One, the Saudi Arabian government and intelligence forces were saying to the drivers. And it wasn't just done on a whim. So that gives me some sort of faith and security in the infrastructure there. I think it's good as well that there are, you know, relevant organisations and strong voices and unions that can represent drivers. And I think Matteo Bonotto, when he said that the drivers are the stars and they should have an important voice moving forwards, is absolutely correct because they are the ones that make the sports. Without without twenty drivers there or their reserve drivers as well, we don't have anything really. Um, so that's very good to see. As I say, moving forwards, there's a lot of questions there about whether we can continue to race in Saudi Arabia because if something like this happens again and it goes the other way versus what it did, 
then the whole entire reputation, I think, of Saudi Arabia for hosting international sports events and of the security services there and the government and how they handle things comes under massive scrutiny. So they very much had skin in the game there. But I think the right decision was made because the right infrastructure was obviously there. We don't know what assurances were given to the drivers, of course, but at the end, everyone turned out to race. And when you think about how vocal, be it sort of physically or verbally, drivers have been when it comes to different sort of causes and the like, they can push their own way and they can get their own way if they really don't want to do something. Slightly different examples I'm going to give, but Raikkonen, for example, didn't want to be part of the Get Vaccinated COVID campaign and wasn't. There was those drivers who didn't want to be part of the the, the taking the knee gesture that for, for in favour of um, Equal Lives and Black Lives Matter. They didn't do that. The We Races One uh, initiative and project, I think, wouldn't have got off the ground without the voices of Lewis Hamilton and others. So I feel that if the drivers really didn't want to race there and wanted to leave and felt insecure about the whole situation, they would have left, but they didn't, which makes me think maybe I'm erring on the side of optimism that there was a safe Grand Prix going on, a win wasn't made, it was a, as I say, not a zero risk scenario, but ultimately we got a, a great race and a safe race as well and there was no harm done well i, I did what the uh, what the saudi arabia was going to say though if you say to them oh can you secure us can you secure our safety they're going to turn around and say no I, I i i don't buy it i just don't buy that the drivers had their were completely satisfied max Verstappen came out afterwards and um highlighted as such that he was disappointed with the result um, and said that he was, you know, he was going to talk about it, in, you know, in the future. Basically saying it wasn't appropriate to talk about it now. Probably because, you know, in, in their minds it was the idea to, to to kind of move on. But is Saudi Arabia likely going to say, no, we can't support your safety? And why does F1 always land on the wrong side of these arguments as well? I mean, should, that that's my other problem. We, we, it always seems to be on the wrong side of these things. Uh, especially when it comes to taking action. Because what you... What you highlighted there tom in those examples was very much a lot of words and and sometimes f1 and, and sporting events highlight a lot of do a lot of words but but in terms of actual action what what do you see because i see a lot of hypocrisy in our sport on one side they're trying to create equality um and diversity but do you see a female driver i don't what about the only team female team principal where where's 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 claire williams now she's not there either those, as I say, I see a lot of words coming out for Formula One, but in terms of actual actions, very limited there. And I think it was all summarised actually by Gunter Steiner, who got asked, "What would you do if your driver didn't want to uh, to participate?" And his response was, "We would get someone else in to fill it. We would get um, Fittipaldi. He's desperate to drive." Well, to me, that that's that's you know pretty pretty blasé about the safety of of this you know and i think that actually a lot of the uh, f1 bosses thought the same thing you know i think that they were pretty quick to to dumb down the the potential problems and you know i think off the back of this what we can actually learn is f1 is once again landed on the wrong side of the argument here i, st- I still think yeah there's the possibility that lots of drivers yeah we're just we're feeling skeptical about staying um a telling response from valtteri bottas who was asked about i think he was asked the question about what um how he felt about racing and he was said specifically how he felt about racing 
in this country, i.e. Saudi Arabia, and he said something along the lines of, I've, I'm not prepared to answer that question. Um, I think it kind of sums up how they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they have to... At the end of the day, the FIA decides that the drivers go to race. And obviously, if these drivers, they're paid to race and be on the racetracks as opposed to like confronting the issues that arise because of them. Now, we've seen a rise in the last maybe five to ten years, I'd say, of drivers going from being, oh, we're just sports people, we don't comment on these things, to being active uh, active speakers about these issues. Um, we saw, a, well, obviously saw a lot from Lewis Hamilton about Black Lives Matter and um, racial injustice. You've seen a lot from Sebastian Vettel as well about LGBT rights. Um, and now not all drivers will be confident enough to speak out. Vettel and Hamilton are very experienced drivers, they know the how um, the the world media works and how they can get their comp- boycotting a race like that. But yeah, it's 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 such it's such a tricky one because like when when the sport does put put money at its forefront, then they're going to go where the money is, and the money is in these countries which pay a lot of money to host races, even if they don't have great most sport heritage, as opposed to actual storied historical tracks on the calendar, which can't pay as much but and aren't as much government supported so it's it's a really tricky one um and it did uh worry me a bit that one of the f1 bosses i think domenicali stefano domenicali came out and said that they were cons- looking at replacing existing races on the calendar with new races now does that mean more prestigious races which can't pay as much will be at threat quite possibly we've seen germany fall off the calendar well, Monza um, and Spa are now being threatened. Monza and Spa are threatened. Silverstone for years has been, like loads of times, it's been a threat of, of especially during the pandemic, they weren't sure that Silverstone would be able to stay financially afloat. Donington has been, and Brands Hatch have been said for years to be good, to be possible replacements. It wouldn't surprise me if one's like, the one that's untouchable I think is Monaco, but it wouldn't surprise me if other Shame. places like, like Silverstone, <laughs> well, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if places like Silverstone, Monza, Spa, Suzuka, um, were taken off the calendar for races in places which paid more money, and as long as there's an F1 race there, then people are going to watch it. So I, I, I'd, I can't see places, places like Saudi Arabia are going to stick around. I think to be honest, we can't deny it. But to be fair, comments like that saying there's 30 other circuits that can host a Grand Prix does give you some hope if you sort of uh, turn it on its head and go well. Saudi Arabia can't be can't afford to cut corners when it comes to driver safety, personnel safety, anyone's safety because there's 29 or 30 tracks over there that are willing to go and take its place. So in that regard, you can go and say, well, yes, there's a contract signed on by the Saudis, and of course, Aramco's a huge sponsor, but they're not necessarily above the law. If and you know, there's a similar events like this in the future, be it threats or actual, I suppose, consequences. I suppose that's a different way to look at it. But you're absolutely right when you say they're getting to the point now where they're considering a 30 race calendar, which as a fan is brilliant. You know, more F1, more circuits, more chances to see racing. Fantastic. But the turnaround time and the intensity for drivers, teams and everyone else who makes it all happen, be it from cameramen and women to engineers and the like, mm-hmm. that's a long old feat. And then when you consider what the gap now between the last season gone, the 2021 season and this one, what's that been? Two months at best? Just over? Hardly time at all. If you have a family, if you want to go and have 
let's say more leisure time because yes they do jet around the world but I can't imagine they go much further than the respective circuit they're racing at so it's a very I suppose intense scenario at the moment when it comes to drivers and everyone involved in Formula One I'd be hesitant to go and tweak that dial too much because then you may have let's say more racing but not as good a quality racing or content for the sake of content and you know churning stuff out which I'm not in favour of I'd much rather have us have a season and have a situation like we have now where we've got a you know a fair amount of racing but not enough where we're actually having detriment on people's health and mental well-being and the like. And now going on to the actual racing of the weekend, it saw a Red Bull top the timesheets on Saturday, but not the one you'd expect. Sergio Perez on his 215th attempt got pole on Saturday. And I remember last episode saying uh, Ferrari seemed like the only team that can pull off a 1-2 this year, etc, etc. Well, obviously, he'd listened to this episode, be it either live on River Radio or via his preferred podcast provider and then stuck two fingers up at me and gone I'll prove him wrong and indeed he did um Perry's did a fantastic job there getting getting that Red Bull all the way up to uh pole position and unfortunately due to no no fault of his own he unfortunately fell all the way down to fourth place where he got uh baited out shall we say by rather cunning and strategic uh Ferrari paddock I can't believe the last time I've I've said that where um where they essentially got on the team radio and said to Leclerc, who was closing in, at, I think around 1.5 or 6 seconds behind Perez at this point, and said, box to overtake. That essentially meaning, come in now before Perez will be able to leap up into first place when Perez later decides to pit. The undercut, I suppose, if you're looking for the more uh, uh, soundbite, uh, or should I say, descriptive terminology for it. Uh, but Red Bull thought, sod this for a game of soldiers, we'll come in as well, cover that threat off. But then Leclerc didn't pit so you thought okay it's all fine no disaster right you know it's not ideal for Red Bull but um Perez can save this he can get back up to pole position well that was the case until one Nicholas Latifi put his Williams into the wall causing a safety car this isn't 2021 don't worry um and then yes Ferraris and Verstappen were able to get themselves essentially a free pit stop and Sergio Perez through to no fault of his own ended up slotting down to fourth place and ran a very good race, but um, it could have been so much more. What are our thoughts on that about Sergio Perez after such a highs and lows weekend? I think, you know what? I was actually buzzed to see him get his first pole position. Um, it's been a long time coming, I feel. Or has it? I don't know. He's never really... Well, perhaps, well simply a long time coming because it's been 215 races. I mean, that uh, smashed the previous record. The previous record of most races with that before first pole position was 130, which was Mark Webber. Um, so Perez absolutely smashed through that record. Yeah, long time coming, but also something which we didn't really expect. I mean, we've known that Verstappen's been quicker than him for the last year and a bit. We all have also known that Perez has definitely closed up um, the gap so far this year. He's been closer. Um, and I think generally over the year, he likely will end up being because he's a very wise head and he's he's an experienced driver he will get on top of that car um so i expect him to again be fighting closer to the front more often um but still i'm in very unexpected pole position um he absolutely nailed the lap it seems on saturday which was brilliant to see um and yeah great result for him sunday i mean poor guy Poor guy, honestly. Couldn't have done much much, uh, much wrong at the start. First, what was it, 13, 14, 15 laps until the first safety car. 
um, doing a solid job. And then the worst possible timing for there to change from a virtual safety car to a safety car. Um, everyone gets a free pit stop and he drops down to third. And then he crossed over the safety car line behind Science, even though the way the pit lane exit in Jeddah works is that it comes out like you go inside turn one and then feed out into turn two. Um, and the, but the safety car line is in just on the exit of the pits. Perez didn't quite get ahead of Science, so he had to get the position back and never recovered from there, um, which kind of shows... He was he wasn't in a absolute rocket ship of a car that he could then go from fourth back to first, but he was in a position where he could control the race and in a standard F one race with no safety cars or anything, which admittedly isn't doesn't happen all the time, he would have controlled the pace and he would have won the race. Um so from a blinding performance on Saturday to seeing a wind slip out of his hands on Sunday, um, pretty gutting for him. But I would look at the positives for him. Last year, at times, he was miles off in qualifying in that Red Bull, and that put him on the back foot for races. And it left us thinking, oh, but they really... It left you thinking at times, have they improved on Albon massively? The answer was yes, because he brought that racecraft and more guile and more experience to be a better... And he was the perfect supporting act for um, for Verstappen. Um, but this year, he seems to have, he seems to have, seems to have upped his game. Um, closer in qualifying and he looked quite in, con- in control for 15 laps at least um, so spectacular on Saturday to sullen on Sunday but I think like I think he should leave Jeddah when he realises over the weekend what has happened in the context of things he'll be happy and I think he can he might be able to look back on it with uh, more um, happiness further down the line yeah I think I think so and I think you two should start narrating because uh, that was a lovely little story of uh, the the weekend. I think in in its totality in terms of um, Perez's is, is experience, but I think it's it's important to tell and explain what all this means because I looked at the Ferraris on Saturday during qualifying and thought no one's going to beat Leclerc. He is far too fast, far too um, adept at getting that car around. The the Ferrari looks stable, strong pretty formidable and Perez does an absolute smashing um flying lap and said afterwards you know if you do if you gave me a thousand laps I won't be able to do another one like that and I think it proves why he's in Red Bull right it once again it demonstrates how wrong Racing Point back when Aston Martin was called Racing Point were getting rid of him and I think, to some extent, what we saw was the potential of Perez this weekend shining through in these new regulations because he beat Max. He he beat out Max. Max couldn't get that Red Bull to do what he wanted it to do. He beat out Sainz. He beat out Leclerc straight to the front and then was cruising, cruising ahead and through no fault of his own ended up in, in third place and very cheekily tried to get past Sainz, as you said, Angus. Um, and I think that was sorted out in, in an amicable way it was at the end of the day science's position but Perez shouldn't come out of this thinking that he it was in any way at fault because as you say he was cruising up ahead we knew he was just pulling away from Leclerc as soon as he got that that opening lap done and he got without with he got out of that one second mark you know that that's an impressive thing to be able to do to get out of the one second mark from the Ferrari behind because those Ferraris are brilliant and it was just pure 
chance that Latifi would crash at the moment where Ferrari would call the bluff. I think Ferrari would have gone in, to be honest, if um, Red Bull hadn't have gone in. I think Leclerc would have gone in to try and get the undercut, which means it would have backfired massively. So, you know, Ferrari nearly shot themselves in the foot, but in the end played an absolute ace. You you cannot set that up any more perfect, could you? That that is the royal flush <laughs> of um of Formula One. So I think I think the Ferrari strategist who called that one should go out and um buy a lottery ticket because that was beautiful. Latifi has a, a, a weird habit of influencing these races, doesn't yeah, he? The real kingmaker. <laughs> he he really is. He absolutely is. And I would. Uh, deter any listener from from being too angry at Latifi and not villainizing him because it's not fair that although the crash was very I think Angus you described it as a very wet crash like it was very slow he just got on the power too early not a good look crunched himself into no it wasn't a good look Mm. crunched himself into a wall you know and I think that's the frustrating bit is it was just a completely unavoidable mistake and I think eyes will be on Latifi for all the wrong reasons. But for Perez, the eyes are definitely on him for all of the right reasons. If Perez doesn't win a race this year, I will be surprised. Because he was cheated out of Saudi Arabia by the overarching element that hangs above us all. Spite. (laughs) I think really he's been cheated out of two podiums and we're only two races in. I mean, look back at Bahrain, for example. He as we say, would have held up Lewis Hamilton there and crossed the line in front of him, getting himself a third place in the first race, which is really, I think, what he was brought in to do in the sort of path of the course of the second Red Bull. I was mightily surprised when he got that Red Bull, his Red Bull, the second Red Bull, the haunted Red Bull, uh, up on the top step of the uh, timesheets, I guess, for this race. And when you consider as well... We've seen it so often, the second driver of the best team, I'm thinking of Bottas for example, he'll get himself up to the time, uh, top of the timesheet, he'll start there at the front of the grid, but then converting it into a good start is something completely different, as he'll tell you. And he got a really good start. You know, He was heading, yeah, ahead of Leclerc for 15, 16 laps. There is an argument to say he would have held him off, or it would have been very competitive between the two, as we saw between Leclerc and uh, uh, Perez's teammate later on. So he was there very much on merit, and once again he was cheated out of a, a podium and in potentially a race win, or at least a second place, uh, moving forwards. And I think... Yeah, Perez is really showing his worth this season. I think last season he was fine. That He definitely came into his own in the latter stages, but he wasn't pitch perfect, shall we say. He was very much having to claw his way up on a Sunday versus qualifying well on a Saturday. So it's definitely a step up there, and I don't think that's all down to the regulations or... Um, necessarily the car that's very much down to to him and his ability so he's showing his worth there and um uh, quelling any doubters shall we say and i think it is inevitable that he's going to win a race this season i'd even go as far to say he's more likely to win a race than lewis hamilton this year which is quite a remarkable thing to be saying uh, after the back end of last season and the fight there but i think that not only is the red bull just so superior than the mercedes and will be for many many races to come but Perez himself is just, 
he's in the groove now, isn't he, when it comes to racing. He's been cheated now out of two races through no fault of his own. His racecraft has been excellent. And arguably, the two disappointments of Bahrain and Saudi Arabia will spur him on and give him that bit between his teeth um, to be even more invigorated to get that first uh, race win with Red Bull. And then going on to Lewis Hamilton, as I've sort of aptly dropped his name in there, a shocking qualifying for him, as we hinted to earlier there. P16 is worth his worst qualifying since 2017. We believe he is unhappy with the balance of the car and the overall setup, saying it was undrivable. We've heard that one before. And then there was George Russell, however, up in P6. Um, so getting himself into the uh, the final stages of qualifying there, uh, but behind Esteban Ocon and just in front of Fernando Alonso. So what do we make of that? Because it can't just be the case of Mercedes bad when you've got George Russell there doing quite well uh, for this Mercedes car, getting himself up into P6 and then also converting that as well, lest we forget... Um, to a very good fifth place. What do we make of Lewis Hamilton having his worst qualifying in half a decade, essentially? Well, reflect it back on you. Is this as good as it gets for Mercedes with Russell's performance? As in this because, season entirely? Yeah, it's just, it, because this, this particular track favoured the slightly slower cars in a sense because... Look at McLaren, for example, seems to be a good litmus test of how um, how well <laughs> the, the the slightly worse cars can perform. Um, to me, I saw Russell's performance and I thought, Do you know what, that's probably the best they can get out of this. It, yeah, is, is this as good as it gets for Mercedes this this season? I wouldn't say this season. Uh, I think they will definitely improve and the upgrades are coming. But I can say, I think with confidence, really, that we won't see Mercedes winning the constructors this year. I don't think we'll see Lewis Hamilton or Russell winning the drivers either. And I think third in terms of the Constructors' Championship is probably as good as it will get for Mercedes. I think there will be races where they get very close to a win and there may be a few where they do win. But currently, as we said last episode and Toto Wolff himself said uh, afterwards, they're in a league of their own. They are in third place when it comes to the teams in splendid isolation, but not too far away from your Alpines from your Hasses, for example. Because looking back at that race between Ocon and Fernando Alonso, there's part of me that really loved it in the early stages because it's wheel-to-wheel racing, there's teams letting them race, there's no team orders, etc. But then part of me really wanted to see what Alonso and or Russell could do working in tandem going after George Russell because I think the Alpine is a very strong car and Mercedes can be very vulnerable as we saw by the fact that Magnussen was giving it a good go not only in Bahrain but also against Hamilton uh, in the, in this race in Saudi Arabia. So I think this it's not as good as it gets at the moment but the ceiling isn't much higher for Mercedes which I never thought I'd be saying uh, at the back end of last season at all going into this one I still think Mercedes will win a race this year I don't think that's a bold prediction to make honestly because if there's one team that can progress development and upgrades at such a pace it's probably Red Bull to be honest with you but Mercedes is up there um, I think that it's a bit of a it's an interesting point you raise about McLaren because I saw an a interview with Lando Norris, um, and he was saying how the McLaren is rubbish, basically, in slow corners um, and on straights. Now, Jed is, an, Jed is an interesting one because it has lots of straights, but there aren't many slow corners, and teams like McLaren were fast. Now, 
the Mercedes, I think it, I can't really tell yet right now whether the Mercedes leans itself more towards higher speed or slower speed circuits. My gut would say slower speed just based on the fact that in Bahrain they were semi-competitive as opposed to being seemingly off the pace this weekend. Um, in terms of what went wrong for Hamilton, I think that I read an article saying basically where Russell and Hamilton both went down different setup routes. I can't tell you the specifics, but they went down different setup routes um, after practice. And of course, with F1 having park ferme, literally meaning uh, closed park, um, once you set your car, as soon as that clock starts for qualifying, that is the car you qualify and race with. So clearly Hamilton's gone down a setup route, possibly gone too extreme to one end, and then that's like afflicted his chances for both qualifying and the race. Because, um, yeah, it was extraordinary to see him out in Q1. It was the first time I read... Obviously, he's been out in Q1 through mechanical failure, and the last time he was out in Q1 was Brazil's 2017 through a crash yet in qualifying. The last time he was out in Q1 on merit, as in a rubbish car, pace-wise, was 2009 in that that dog of a McLaren he had that year, at the start of the year. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that... They will bounce back. Their main issue is clearly porpoising. Um, and you've seen teams get on top of that. Think of all... I mean, Ferrari at the start of testing, they were bouncing like there's no tomorrow. Um, but they managed to sort it, solve it, and they had a fast car anyway, admittedly. But they managed to... They wouldn't have had as fast a car had those porpoising issues persisted. Um, so if Mercedes can solve those, you never know. Come like... I, I, I said earlier in another podcast about uh, Spain, round six mid-May being like a barometer for how the teams are. It has been in previous seasons. I reckon it will be again this season once we get over to the European races. I don't think all hope is lost for Mercedes in terms of winning races, but hope is quickly dissipating, should we say, in terms of winning a championship this year. Um, Russell already has only half the points of Leclerc. Mercedes only have half the points of Ferrari. And yes, Ferrari aren't going to finish first and second, first and third, second and third every weekend. But can you say that Mercedes will finish first and second, first and third, second and third on any on on any weekend at all? No. Perhaps on the odd the odd one. But I think they might win a race or two. I don't think for those George Russell fans out there who were looking forward to seeing him get podiums and wins, I don't think it's out of the question. But a sustained battle for a title is it's not gonna happen. I just wonder where where Mercedes go with this because it, it felt like at the weekend they were in the mindset of let's do anything we can to try and get this this car competitive. And unfortunately, when you're trying to do that, I think that's when you set up the car incorrectly. As you say, Angus, it was a bizarre thing to watch Lance Stroll <laughs> qualify Mr. Lewis Hamilton. You know, those seven time seven world championships don't get handed you on a plate. The man knows how to set up a car and... It was just crazy to watch him just struggle. So there was something not right. I, the, I saw predictions of a cracked underfloor or perhaps he had problems with gearbox, engine, something. You know, that that that, that time difference is crazy. Um, and so everyone assumed it was mechanical. It looked like he was losing lots of time down the straights. So I, I suspect they just plugged way too much wing in on, on it or something like that. Um, and that just was far too draggy. But to answer my own question that, that I posed to Tom, I suppose, I, I kind of see Russell's performance and think, yeah, that's probably as good as it gets for for Mercedes, at least until the summer break. But 
even then, their their platform at the moment is not looking brilliant. Uh, now I've said that, of course, they're going to come back with the upgrade that's going <laughs> to blow everyone else out of the water, and um, I shall be eating my words as Hamilton picks up his eighth world championship. However, currently looking looking at it, I I see the car is difficult to drive. They've gone with the massive underfloor, which means it's porpoising away, scraping along that floor, and they were, I think, lucky actually that that Russell could could extract the performance he could out of it because watching his flying lap, Russell was so smooth and planting the car pretty much perfectly actually, and even then. He just wasn't actually up there. He wasn't competitive. I mean, they're they're better than the rest of the Mercedes-powered cars. But I think Lewis Hamilton just... They just went completely wrong in terms of his setup. But I think really they're they're kind of at the moment in terms of of winning a championship. That sort of car, they're flogging a dead horse. They are... They're accidentally fallen back into Formula 1.5, if you like, Mm -hmm. you know. this is their package this is their starting starter block and it's just wrong at the moment mm, mm. so it i th- i think it's kind of as as good as it gets and it's odd to see russell outperforming lewis hamilton lots of us thought that he wouldn't actually i think russell has has kind of is actually matching lewis at the moment two two races in bear in mind that it was lewis hamilton that that out qualified george russell in Bahrain and now it's George Russell outqualifying Hamilton in Saudi Arabia. So I feel like this car and its setup is so different in terms of if you get it wrong, you get it completely wrong. And if you get it right, it's kind of much, much better. Whereas I, I think I look at the the Ferrari and if you get the setup slightly wrong, it's okay because the rest of the car is kind of okay too. Mm-hmm. There's much more of a safety net there. And that's something. What what Mercedes is seeing now is perhaps the the problem that Red Bull had back in you know, so 2020, 2019, where the car was difficult to drive. And so one driver, i.e. Max Verstappen in this case, would be able to drive it and get everything out of it, whereas the other driver struggled. And so I feel like we might have that with Mercedes at the moment. I don't know what you think, whether or not we're just going to get this weird... like one driver doing really well and the other driver not doing really well because they're going to have independent setups. Yeah, well, I mean, George Russell, as you say there, has really taken, like, duck to water, really, with this Mercedes. Granted, the expectations are far lower than we thought they would be and how they are now, I guess. But a fourth and fifth, as you say, is quite credible uh, in this car. I mean, moving forwards as well, when I was listening back to qualifying and the shock on Hamilton's in Hamilton's voice when he discovered how far off he was from George Russell, it was close to a second, he was like, what, seriously, it's, it's that much, it's that much. So... I think even he's been taken aback, really, by how poor Mercedes are doing, how poor that qualifying was. I think he was even lost for words and couldn't really come up with a reason when, when first interviewed about it, really. And when you consider as well, there was a, a bit of unluckiness. And there was, you know, definitely falling the wrong side of luck there when it came to Hamilton and him not being able to get that pit stop when the pit lane entry closed. Meanwhile, Magnussen was able to get it because he got in there first. That's an element of luck, sure, and it didn't you know, go in his favour on that occasion. He got a point, that's fine, but when you consider where he was and where George Russell was, that's not a great result either. So 
you could well see a, a very gradual and under the radar, I guess, uh, change of guard between Hamilton and Russell while we focus on Leclerc and Verstappen fighting out the top because the way it's going, the consistency I feel that George Russell's getting from this Mercedes and the fact that when you look at his weekends, I guess, you can't really point to any scenario or any incident or event where he's really got it wrong and he's really um, screwed it up for himself or the team, be it in uh, a flying lap or be it in the race itself. Meanwhile, Hamilton, the uh, the wily old campaigner, as the cliche goes, has very much got his inconsistencies there versus the spring chicken, which you'd have thought would be full of them or be slow to, to get ready and to get racing with such a high-caliber team like Mercedes. So it's early days, but the early signs so far, whether you're a, you're a Hamilton fan or a Russell fan, is it's not great. But if you're a Hamilton fan, you're particularly feeling it's not a great start to the season because, I mean, he's only two points ahead of Ocon, which is not yeah. really where you thought he'd be. <laughs> no. Did Mercedes drop the ball this this week, Angus? Tom said that Hamilton was fa- failed to, to come in during the, the virtual safety car um, when most of the <laughs> a lot of the the, the uh, cars decided to uh, die at the at the end of the race. We had Ricardo and Alonso who basically came to a stop in the pit lane entrance, and Mercedes couldn't get Hamilton in in time and and get him in and didn't kind of commit to having Hamilton come in and pit stop. And then by the time Hamilton came past, it was too late because then they decided to, to close it. So do you, do you see the cracks appearing in, in Mercedes' setup? I feel like they're, they're maybe panicking a bit, especially as Toto Wolff said that this is a, a humbling experience. I would say that the virtual safety car call was... Well, you know, do you find yourself many times over the last five, six years... Making, uh, finding yourself saying, "Oh, Mercedes, they have to rub the green all the time." Hamilton, oh, he gets so lucky. Um, I think this may have been one occasion where he actually got unlucky. Um, <gasps> if you think, of, I, I, I hate to say it, <laughs> but the Bottas. The, I know, <laughs> I know. Well, the 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 just literally the pure misfortune that Ricardo and Alonso. It's a bit of a weird couple of laps, wasn't it, where three cars all sort of died or overheated all at once. We thought, yeah, Bottas, Ricardo, and Alonso. Yeah, all at the same time. We thought that might become like a theme of the rest of the race. But yeah, those three cars all within the space of a lap, um, and the fact that they literally pulled up in the pit lane entry, um, I think was just desperately poor luck. Um, it was a ridiculous image of both cars being like trundling along at te- five miles an hour in the pit lane entry. Um, rendering the pit lane closed uh, for a period of time. I just think it was bad luck, to be honest. I think there's, there's an alternate scenario where those two cars pull up before the final corner and the pit lane entry is open. Hamilton pits whilst everyone's slower on the track and he gets back out in sixth place or wherever he was, sixth or seventh, and then finishes higher up. So genuinely think they were just unlucky. Um, it's quite a wild statement to say, I know, that Mercedes were unlucky. Uh, and Hamilton was unlucky, but I genuinely think that was it in terms of that in terms of that part of the yeah. race. We're only two races in, but the vibes I'm getting from Mercedes is very much we've accepted defeat, we've accepted we're not going to win this championship. Third will do. I don't know about you guys. I'm not sure if you you agree or not. Well, going off last weekend when they said we can't believe we got a podium, that was an unusual statement from from Mercedes, and. You know, none of us are Mercedes haters. That's the mm. thing. You know, we are. 
if any, you know, just observers in this in this whole fiasco, the dance that is Formula One. But it it just feels like at the moment that they were struggling a bit last year when Red Bull were pressurizing them, and now that they are even more pressured because they've got Haas chasing them, mm. they've got Alfa Romeo chasing them, they've got Ferrari, Red Bull in front of them, they've got Alpine. Mercedes aren't in the lead now. They are they are surrounded mm. by competition, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the last time that happened was before Hamilton joined Mercedes. Back when it was Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher, they were a midfield team then. Yeah, and Toto was brought in to shake it up a bit, and it, Toto was not happy at the end of this particular race and as i say it just it seems to me like i don't really know what mercedes is going to do at the moment especially as their engine is so low on power reportedly ferrari have got an extra sort of 20 25 horsepower out of the um engines than they did last year which makes sense given that alpha romeo and Haas are also very very fast and all them mercedes teams are a little bit slower so uh it just it just seems to me like the 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 so no, someone's pulling the rug out from mercedes and I, I don't know what they're going to do and this is why it's going to be such a fantastic season because in two races time we might be saying the complete opposite mm. And last but not least, getting down to the fight for the lead and the win of this Grand Prix, we got a taste, I think, of the battle to come. Verstappen versus Leclerc, the new regs era, I guess. Uh, we saw a bit of it at Bahrain, but we saw a full extended cut here in Jeddah. And from sort of lap 36, they'll be going hammer and tongs to get that race win. And we'll discuss this further in the episode to come. I realise we're a bit short on time. But what a battle it was between those two. The, the chess, I suppose, the mind game games the intelligence the racing intelligence that had to go into this battle for Verstappen to get the win was incredible and a testament really to the new regs how cars can closely follow one another and the era of overtake and pull away is firmly firmly done as not only they show but the Alpines as well what do we make of that fight there that lasted well I'd say over or close to mm, 15 laps or so Anyone get sick of the uh, fighting, you know, the, the track-to-track racing yet? I'm, I'm bored of the competition, you know? mate, you know. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> it was just brilliant. That's what, I was, it was just brilliant. <laughs> it felt like a continuation of last of last week when we had the, the fight between Max and Leclerc then. Um, I feel like it was summarised quite nicely by the, the commentators which was patience is a word that's entering into Max Verstappen's vocabulary. <laughs> and he's he's right. I think actually people quickly learn how to get one up on each other. The clerk demonstrated last week that hanging back and grabbing that DRS is an important part of, of the racing. And Max and the clerk are doing it a lot uh during the race and well everyone was actually they're all doing it and we saw it a bit last year do you remember when at saudi arabia verstappen supposedly and you might argue brake tested lewis hamilton so he didn't go over the drs line first um 
and let him past and that sort of thing and so there is definitely this new element of strategy which is who can be last to to become first you know that sort of thing which is a bit weird at the moment um in fact it really brings light to he who shall be last shall be first you know that sort of thing going on so uh yeah it was but it was brilliant it was just so fair between them they they got out afterwards on on the and and were smiling and laughing with with each other and, and chatting about how good it was leclerc came on the radio and said you know well done max and that sort of sportsmanship comes from fair honest you know wheel to wheel racing sparring and fighting like that not these dive bomb silly maneuvers that verstappen was pulling out last last year to try and get past hamilton at any cost so bring it on i just don't think my heart's going to be able to take it watching a whole season of this wheel to wheel action but god i love it we've been treated haven't we really um it's not a bad start to the season i'm of the opinion that i do want to see it switched up a bit i want to see different drivers fighting at the front for those who say they would love to see 23 straight races of verstappen versus leclerc fighting um okay i'll see how you get on with that i would appreciate it if other people were up there in the fight as well but i think it's it's definitely a big tick alongside the the point of the new generation of cars providing better racing um simply the designs of the cars the way they've been uh, the rules have been regulated and and formulated the cars are able to follow each other more closely and it allows for battles, I feel, more and more battles which are going on lap after lap after lap. You're not getting battles where, number one, is tricky to get within a second because of the dirty air, and number two, once you're in front, the car you just overtaken then drops out of your one-second window because there's dirty air. It means that you can get cars, and we saw it with the Alpines as well, which is a phenomenal battle, but also kind of ruined their race a bit. Um, or, or not ruin, stifle their potential, shall we say? Um, like the the Verstappen Leclerc battle was like that as well. It provided lap after lap battle. It almost got decided on the final lap as well. Leclerc was thinking about it against that final corner, but he was just too close. Um, sorry, just not close enough in the end. Um, but yeah, I think the wheel to wheel racing has been really good so far this year. Bahrain, we knew, is a track which historically produces pretty good wheel-to-wheel racing. Jeddah, actually, it does it does an alright job. It's that it's those last two bits of the track, that long straight down to the final hairpin, followed by the pit straight, really does a good job in terms of racing. There's not a massive amount of the rest of the track, but there are options, there are opportunities to overtake. Um, and it'll be interesting to see going forward the different tracks and how they and whether. It's got this has got like two out of two in terms of the signing off whether the tracks provide good racing or whether it's the new rules. If they are consistently providing good racing at each track, you can say the rules have worked. Um, be very interesting to see if Australia has the same effect because do remember we have a slightly altered Melbourne Grand Prix track um, with some of the corners turned to straighter sections, some of the um, some of the corners widened or made faster. So the lap times will come down quite a bit, but it will be interesting to see the effect of that on overtaking. Um, but yeah, so far, Verstappen-Leclerc, another an example of a, a very good battle in what was... I know some people were calling this race an epic. I wouldn't call it that. I can think of much better races. But it was certainly lit up by a couple of 
or actually quite a few good wheel-to-wheel battles of which when when a wheel-to-wheel battle is for the lead it, it always feels better as it should do because it's the stakes that are at their highest um and the battle that was on sunday the little mind games of the drs that lap where they both didn't want to cross the drs line first and they both did humongous flat uh humongous lockups which i'm amazed didn't flat spot the tires completely um and yeah it was a brilliant battle and long may that continue but can we have others in the battle as well please it'd be nice uh to have perez and science get in amongst it too and possibly the mercedes who knows yeah i do feel though that it is leclerc versus verstappen for this championship and i feel the friendliness is great at the moment it's a welcome relief i think and break from the vitriol and the nastiness between mercedes and red bull but i question how long that will last because it's all good now isn't it round two of the uh of the season but when we get closer and closer and the uh, the stakes get higher and higher and the gaps get smaller and smaller. I feel we'll see that disappear somewhat. But yeah, what a race. It was so great to see. I think Leclerc's intelligence in terms of the new regulations is just impeccable. And I felt he would have been a worthy uh, race winner if he got this one. Very much just sort of utilising the DRS to his advantage as he did in Bahrain. I feel Verstappen was very much C-space, go-for-space mentality. A bit impulsive, a bit ing- aggressive, the old Max, if you will. But then, as you said, Tristan, and as the commentator said as well, he learnt the uh, the art of uh, being patient of, uh, and of biding his time. And he won. So now we're sort of level pegging, I guess, in many respects between those two moving forwards. And I feel that... Um, I mean, we're currently seeing a battle that will go on for many, many years to come because Verstappen, we know, is an amazing talent, but I think Leclerc is showing time and time again that he's ready to win a championship now. Uh, He doesn't need a season to bet into the fight before taking the fight on and winning it, as I thought he would do going into the season. And it's so exciting to see... So exciting to see that, as we say, cars can follow and the race is never truly over and the battle's never truly over until they cr- they, they cross the line there. So long may that continue. But um, as I say, Perez has shown his ability to get up there and um, be competitive and win the race. And so has Sainz. But those two seem to be the standout so far. But um, we'll see how far that continues moving on to the street circuits and those that are less reliant on uh, power straights and the like. And thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of episode 5 of F1 in Review. Be that on your preferred podcast provider, your Spotify, your Apples, your Podfollows, you know the rest as well. Or listening live or on the Listen Back feature on River Radio. Thank you very much. Uh, you can follow us, of course, on Twitter at F1 in Review. And we now take, a, I suppose, a bit of a break from racing. The next one it starts on the 8th of April, as I say, going to Australia, round 3, uh, qualifying will be 7am UK British summertime and the race unfortunately is 6am if you're uh, watching or listening in the UK if you're however down under if you're in Australia congratulations on having your Grand Prix back after a uh, hiatus shall we say caused by you know what and um, enjoy the improved uh, we're told uh, Melbourne Grand Prix to come we'll be back of course next week to carry on the discussions uh, when it comes to Formula 1 going a bit deeper into that battle between Leclerc and Verstappen and also looking at the midfield, a rather packed midfield so far, and it looks like that's going to continue between the Hasses, the Alfa Romeos, the Alpines, the Alfa Tauris. It really could be anyone's fight as to who gets fourth or maybe even third. So tune in next week on River Radio and watch out for the uh, podcast episode on your provider, and we look forward to having you and seeing you at that point.
Thank you very much. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.